all hits all the time. We are family. Max Scherzer, double digit K's. We're busting ours. It's yours. Fun to watch. Honest 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a The weather is getting cooler, the leaves are changing colors and falling to the ground, which means we are at the final week of the baseball's regular season and heading into October. Welcome into the Mass and All Access podcast, everybody. Bobby Blanco here and Amy Jennings from the Mass and Newsroom. And Amy, we usually this time of year, well, first of all, we can tell that if you're watching along with us on the Mass and Nationals Facebook out, page and out. YouTube channel and on Twitter, we are dressed for the occasion. We are wearing red and uh, bright <laughs> orange, uh, very fally color, very fall atmosphere up in here from the Mass and All Access podcast. But Amy, usually this time of year, we're getting ready for postseason baseball in D.C. Probably not going to be the case this year uh, after a World Series run last year, but never say never. Technically, they have a chance. If you're a Nats fan right now, are you in football mode already, or you're still hanging on to this chance that they have left? Well, uh, You're both right now. You're You're teetering the line. And in a week, we're all football. Well, because every night there's baseball. There's not football every night. So if True. there was football every night, I think you'd be kind of checking out. But y- with with just them playing on Sundays and Thursdays and Mondays, I think you can, you'll can you catch You're baseball. Right. Okay. Especially in this weird 60-game season, I think Nats fans you and baseball fans in general every last game are soaking in every game as possible. Now, I think other people, some disagree. I've heard a lot of people say that they're not totally all in on this baseball season just because it's been so weird. And, it's tough and, to get and, excited. Yeah. yeah, it's been tough. But, you know, I think if you're a diehard and, and you live and die with this team, you're going to hang on to every pitch while you can because it was such a short season. And we don't know about 2021 season when that's going to start, what that's going to look like. Mm. So you might as well soak it all in while you can. And then also, regardless of the, if the Nationals make the postseason or not, soak in the playoff baseball because it's still going to be baseball. It's still exciting. It's still playoff baseball. Right, and then you'll have that October atmosphere, and it'll still be energetic. You're right. You're right. Okay, so we talked about it, and that's chances are pretty slim of making the playoffs at this point. They obviously have to win out. They need San Francisco and Philadelphia to lose out. They need either St. Louis or Milwaukee to lose out, and then they need the Rockies to go 500 or worse. So just a couple things have to happen. Yeah, to you know, it way. can happen. Easy. It's yeah. You're saying there's a chance. All of those, all that good stuff. All those uh, cliches that people say this time of year when they're when they're mathematically still alive. Um, if if you're checking us out on again the Mass and Nationals Facebook page or YouTube channel or on Twitter at Mass and Nationals, we are. Now showing a, a wild card standings graphic. It's an incomplete standings, um, but just so you know, Cincinnati and Milwaukee are right now the two wild card teams. Again, every the top two teams in each division get in, so that's six. To fill out the top eight is the next two teams with the best record. So right now that are the Reds and the Brewers. Um, and then following them, there's a list of teams between Washington and the Brewers at the, the bottom, but the next two teams are right now San Francisco and Philadelphia, who, of course, the Nationals finish out uh, a four-game series with tonight on Wednesday. Um, yeah, I, you know, it, it's bizarre because the standings are based on winning percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this season, not every team is going to finish the complete 60 games. So it's 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 been hard for me to calculate. I had to text Mark Zuckerman this morning about, like, hey, what does all of this mean? Because right. I, tried my, I try not to bother Mark too much, especially in season. He's a busy man. 
with Facebook, um, with covering the Nationals. So, but I was just so confused. I was I need a, I need Mark's insight on this and, and and his breakdown. So, basically, what we're looking for, take magic number, tragic number, whatever, throw them out the window. <laughs> what we're looking at right now is he said the Nationals are eliminated once there are eight teams with twenty eight wins in the National League. Um, right now, the Brewers. Giants and Phillies are the three contending teams that are stuck at 27. So mm-hmm. that ties into why the Nationals kind of need them to win out. He also mentioned that there is a weird scenario where they would win the tiebreaker over the Brewers or Rockies, like you said, based on division record. And that scenario would include the Nats winning the tiebreaker with only 27 wins. So the Nationals could technically squeeze in, sneak in um, with 27 wins. But we're basically essentially meaning if – Eight teams in the National League get to 28. 28 wins. So Nationals if the Brewers, limited. Giants, or Phillies win one more game, I, I think it's pretty much over. Um, and obviously the Nationals can keep the Phillies off out of the win column tonight by beating them and sweeping them. A very similar situation that we saw last year in the last regular season week uh, where we saw the Nationals finish the season 8-0 mm-hmm. heading into the wild card game. They swept the Phillies, and I believe it was a five-game series, something like that, and we're seeing like a four-game series with a doubleheader yesterday kind of playing out. So the Nationals, and we talked about this last week too, the Nationals can play spoiler or at least help play spoiler right. for the Phillies by keeping them out of that 28-win column spot um, and by sweeping them today and then also helping their chances moving forward. Yeah, th- th- that's the thing. At this point in the season, you don't want your – playoff chances to be out of your hands and for the nationals they're clearly way out of their hands but what they can control is playing spoiler and maybe finishing ahead of the Mets uh, to finish the year because they do finish the season with a four-game series against them so that is directly in their hands those are things that they can help but at this point in the season you never want your playoff hope to be completely out of your hands and pretty much for the nationals it is at this point however there is an upside to being in this position um at this point in the season not making the playoffs and we talked about it talked about it last week Mm -hmm. is is draft order yep and we don't know what it's going to be and for this whole season and i think it was kind of smart and sneaky by the commissioner to to do this um so i'll give him kudos uh for for not leaking this until the last week of the regular season but jeff passon of espn reporting yesterday on tuesday that uh the draft order for 2021 will be based off of more, more more likely than not um, on 2020 record and standings, which means the Nationals right now will currently probably be around the fifth pick or top five pick. Uh, they did win yesterday, so that might have bumped them up actually a little bit, depending on who what other teams did. But that is crazy, and and to me that would be, you know, if if the Nationals don't make the playoffs, which would be again a miracle and 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 awesome and exciting. But if they don't make the playoffs, the next best thing would be a top five draft pick, right. two years removed from winning a World Series, a year and a half basically. Um, you know, this was a team that just drafted 23 overall, 22nd overall in 2020 uh, with Kate Cavalli. And, you know, that's where you would expect a, a, a consistent contender to be drafting year in and year out. And we, for so long, they picked Raider right, right there late in the first round. Exactly. So. And I was just about to say, like, and that's why the Nationals consider themselves, they're never rebuilding, they're retooling because it's so hard to rebuild when you don't have those high draft picks in baseball. You know, those first rounders are guys that you expect probably to make the majors in the next two or three years um, and an impact. And, and, you know, you look at your Adley Rutschmans, you look at your Kumar Rockers th- coming up, you know, they're whoever takes him, uh, your Torkelsons, he's going to be hitting uh, bombs for the Tigers right. next year. Uh, whoever drafts Rocker is going to, going to, you know, 
have see him start within the year or two. So if the Nationals are able to squeak in the top five in 2021, that is going to be a huge, huge, I guess, steal for the Nationals because they would not, I would think, in a normal 162-game season, they would not have found themselves in that situation. But because how this season went, because it was shorter, mm-hmm. they might find themselves in the top five. Right. It's almost like at this point, if you're going to miss the playoffs, you kind of want to miss by a lot. Um, you know, It's like, do you want to play spoiler? Do you want to win out? Do you want to finish above the Mets? Or do you want to just, you know, take the L and get that top, top draft pick at this point? So, Yeah. So right now they would be, season today, they actually did kind of drop out of the top five. They would be the seventh overall behind Detroit, Kansas City, Arizona, Boston, Texas, and Pittsburgh. Um but it's still it's a top still 10 way pick. higher than you in a 162-game right. season than you would imagine them picking coming off a, a World Series right. win. And, I, and like thinking back to this past season draft around that area, I think that's where you see a couple of their top pitching prospects go from mm-hmm. this past draft. I think I'm not exactly sure. I would have to double-check with our draft expert, Brendan mm-hmm. Mortensen. About, <laughs> uh, Emerson Hancock went around there, right? And then um, uh, the Vanderbilt guy who didn't go number two overall to the Orioles, he dropped, dropped and ended Some up going to the Blue Jays. This, yeah, this year. So, you know, you could find a steal Fifth, yeah. in that area. It, top ten pick. I mean, again, World Series teams two years removed, a year and a half removed, should not be drafting in the top ten. You would think that they would be strong enough at their major league level to continue. But the way the season went, obviously the Nationals suffered a lot of injuries. They didn't recover. Um, guys had struggled. Um, in, in their last season, we don't know what this team's going to look like this offseason. So it will be interesting to see if they do finish in that seven to five, if not higher range mm-hmm. uh, by the end of Sunday. Um, all right. Enough with the um, ifs, mites, and what could be. And maybes. Yeah. Let's look back at what was. Uh, because, again, this season for the 2020 Nationals did not go according to plan. Um, we're more likely than not talking about a, a team that's going to miss the playoffs after winning a World Series. But there were still some good stories oh, yeah. from this Nationals team this year. Um, talking about some of the feel-good stories that we saw. And if you're at home and you're one of those guys or people that are just like, don't tell me. That it, this I year, don't want to hear it. This season was a fail. Then turn off right now. Yeah. You know, but th- we try to stay a positive mental attitude about, about it all right here on the podcast. Um, and there were some good stories uh, being told. And I'm actually going to talk to Alex Chappell, or of course our Nationals sideline reporter for Masson, later in the podcast about some of the stories that she was able to tell, uh, her insight into the team from this year. So stick, stay tuned for that uh, later in the episode. But there were some good stories that we saw play out on the field this season for the Nationals. Well, and we, you know, you talk about that. It's like we wouldn't have, we talked about it last week, we wouldn't get to see these stories if it weren't for the Nationals losing. Right. We wouldn't get to see a lot of these stories if it weren't for injuries. And you don't want to lose, you don't want injuries. But on the flip side, you get some feel-good stories, and we're going to talk about those at this point. So should we start with Yadio Hernandez? Who I mean, had might as well. Uh, night last <laughs> night. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, I mean, yeah. We had this list, and he was mid-pack. Not that they were in a specific order, but we have to start with him now because after last night, hitting the walk-off home run for his first home run in the major Mm -hmm. leagues, I mean, what a moment for this guy. He's a 32-year-old minor league journeyman. He made his first major league call-up back on September 10th. He went over his first four games 0 for 7 with four strikeouts, was optioned back to the alternative site in Fredericksburg on September 18th. He said after the game last night, you know, he wasn't sure if he was going to get another chance in the majors. So that moment right right there last night hitting the walk-off was huge for him. We're called back on September 20th. 
uh, who recorded that for his first hit in the major leagues that day, a double against the Marlins. And then, of course, last night he gets his first two-hit game, his first major league RBI, and his first home run, a two-run shot to walk off the uh, Phillies in extra innings in the, the nightcap of the doubleheader. Just an incredible moment. You know, that's the story that I think baseball purists love. Guys who grind it out in the minor leagues for so long mm-hmm. and then get their shot chance in the major leagues and make the most of it you're absolutely right he he was the oldest to ever hit his first home run in walk-off form last night and he was the second oldest player to debut this season you're seeing I mean um, Yamaguchi from Toronto is the oldest guy to make his debut this season but Yadiel Hernandez is the second oldest and four of the oldest guys to make their debuts in Major League Baseball this year are international guys. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for every U.S. born baseball player, there's international guys who are willing to work five times as hard to get to that spot. So it's so exciting in a year like this to see these international players, especially Yadiel Hernandez, who's just weeks from his 30, uh, 33 year old birthday finally make it you know finally make it and you know he came up went 0 for 7 got sent back down and he thought that was it and you know Davey Martinez said keep your head up you can swing the bat you're gonna be all right gets called up and now look at what he's doing so that's a feel-good story Um, you love to see guys like that you know work their butt off and finally make it um, and produce with the chance that they get which he's doing now and what a great night for him last yeah, night. Yeah, absolutely. Something that people just love to see and again, I think baseball purists love seeing guys anyone, any sports fan, you know, I think baseball is just so different because you could be just a guy who plays in the minor leagues your entire career and you're just that's who you are. You're a minor league player, you've mm-hmm. never reached that point. You fight your whole life to get to the major leagues and that never happens. But there are occasions where these guys, you know, get to 32, 33, mid-30s, and then they finally get that chance. Not only to get that chance, but they make the most of it. You know, they have a big thing. You know, he'll, if he never takes an at-bat in the major leagues ever again, he will still have that he moment. Made it. And he, he made it. it. And he hit a two-run home run to walk off in a major league game. Mm-hmm. Um, and we could be pointing back a couple years from now and be like, you know, if the Nationals end up sweeping the Phillies and the Phillies miss the playoffs, we're like, Yadier Hernandez knocked out the Phillies of the playoffs that season, and then he never played again. I mean, that he could be go down in, That's true. in baseball lore around this town for that specific reason. And, you know, going into the season with a crowded outfield, to start with, you wouldn't have imagined he would get a shot. He probably didn't think he was going to get a shot yep. this year, so good for him. And So he's a story of guys who have fought to get to the certain point. Another one that's kind of similar – but this guy fought to get back to the major leagues, and this is a you know a Nationals fan favorite, Aaron Barrett. I mean, this okay. guy is anytime he takes the mound to me is just we need to be talking more about Aaron Barrett. He is a, a medical marvel. The fact that he has gone through all those injuries that he did and made it back and pitching at a major league level. Uh, if you back in 2015, he goes through Tommy John surgery. He also had bone spurs removed from both his elbow and ankle mm. in the same surgery. Um, and then fractured his right arm a year later while pitching in 2016. A gruesome injury. People were saying it would sound like a gunshot the way his bone broke. Right. Um, he had surgery that left two plates and 16 screws embedded in his bone and his arm. Then, of course, he returned last year. He pitched in three games. He threw out the ceremonial first pitch of the wild card game. Um, and this year he appeared in a one and a third innings over two games. Just a great story that Nationals fans, I think, will treasure forever. Everyone will remember Aaron Bear for the way that he fought back uh, from a, a terrible, two terrible injuries just to pitch a couple of games in his career. I mean, a guy is an inspiration. I mean, yeah, you see how many guys come back from Tommy John, but then to break your humerus while you're recovering or rehabbing from Tommy John is 
kind of unheard of. So when he, I mean, you see, you look back at the highlights from last year when he made his first appearance since 2015, it was like, you know, tears and emotional because it's just, it's just such an outstanding way. He fought back and anytime, obviously now he's back on the IL with a right tricep strain, but anytime you see this guy make it back up and pitch, it's just, you know, the emotions come out and it's a great comeback story. Yeah, I, I can't. I, I, I'll be honest, I get scared sometimes. Like, I'm like, I'm every time he pitches, I'm like, please don't hurt yourself. Like, just yeah. don't get well, it. Well, it has to be scary. I, yeah. mean, I would imagine it's scary. Yeah, Ravi mentioned the bravery it takes for him to go back. I mean, like, that, he said it was, I believe he, t- like, related it to, like, a freak car accident. So it's like, that's some trauma you could probably possibly go through as a person to get back out there and, and pitch in any level, nonetheless, in the major league level. Uh, that is some serious guts and bravery. As much of a physical, you know, recovery. It's yeah. probably just as much as a mental, mental and yeah. emotional recovery. Absolutely. So, so another kind of similar story. It doesn't have to do with injuries, but uh, another guy that fought back to get to the major leagues. We saw him last night too. Was Paulo Espino, uh, a 33 year old who had pitched in the minors for a while. He had the taste of the major leagues back in 2017. He pitched between the Brewers and the Rangers. Uh, but he hasn't pitched in the major league level since then. Uh, he's from Panama. He pitched in the Venezuelan Winter Leagues from 2011 to 2016, most recently in the Dominican Winter League um, from 2017 to 2020. Um, he had a six ERA in 12 major league appearances. Uh, he only made two starts in 17 between the Brewers and the Rangers, but he makes his first major league appearance last night, four innings, seven hits, three runs, no walks, four strikeouts, um, and, and uh, a start against the Phillies in the nightcap uh, against uh, the doubleheader. And just another good story of someone who's just, you know, this is what he wants to do. He wants to play Major League Baseball. Uh, you know, he did not, or, or, or baseball in general, he did mm-hmm. not, was no shame in him going back and playing in Venezuela or Dominican um, and, and fought his way back and earned a, a, a spot to make start in the Major League game and pitched fairly well. He kept the Nationals in that game. Mm-hmm. And he's another example of, you know, a guy who just wants to play baseball and he's going to work and do anything he can to get there. Um, it's funny because the Nats minor league pitching coordinator worked with him when they were both in Texas with the Rangers. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has nothing but good things to say about him. He says he has one of the highest spin rates on his, any curveball that he's ever seen. Um, nothing but good things to say about him. And now they're together with the Nationals. Um, Eric Thames was his first baseman with the Brewers. Now they're both with the Nationals. So, you know, just a guy who's who's had a long career just playing baseball, but, you know, back up, making the most of his opportunities. I mean, three runs in four innings isn't incredible, but it, he kept him in the game. Yeah. That's what Davey needed out of him. Uh, gave his team a chance to win, and they obviously did with the help of Yadio Hernandez. But, um, you know, just another feel-good story of a guy who's older, international guy and is making the most of his opportunities yeah he started in the nightcap like you said he kept them in the game and he did exactly what the nationals needed him to do after austin both pitched a seven inning complete game in the game one you know davy's probably feeling really well oh, i didn't use any bullpen arms i have my full bullpen like whatever apollo can give me i'll take and mm-hmm. that's four in- i mean that's half more than half the game so right. davy must have felt really good about him coming out of that game um giving him four innings and only giving up three runs. And the Nationals gave him a lead. I think, I, well, you know, before they blew the lead in the sixth, he was in line for a win, which would have been a great story too. But, you know, I, he was also just hearing him speak after the game. He, you, you just tell. He was just so – he could oh, not yeah. stop smiling, grinning ear to ear. He was just a guy who was just like, you know, I, I can't pull – I don't want to put words in his mouth, but 
he just seemed like I am literally just happy to be here. Just happy to have the opportunity, mm-hmm. the chance. Uh, and, you know, that to me, like just listening to him, that, that put a smile on my face. I'm like, this is what this game is it's about. Great. You know, this is a feel good story. This is why we're here. That's not going so great. Exactly. That's exactly it. So another one, then this is kind of going a different tangent because this is a guy who um, is a young prospect. He has been brought up um, like, you, you know, he's was needed out of injuries because of injuries. So, uh, ben Bramer, who was an 18th round pick back in 2016 out of Auburn. He was the co-minor league pitcher of the year back in 2018 with Will Crow. So this is a guy that the Nationals have had in the system for a while. They know what they've got. They're waiting for him to take that next step. Mm-hmm. He was ranked as high as their 25th overall prospect. He makes his debut on August 28th against the Red Sox in Boston. Um, and then his first major league start comes on Sunday in the second game of the doubleheader against the Marlins. Mm-hmm. And he goes five scoreless innings. Uh, only allowed one hit, three walks, struck out four on 86 pitches, and he earns his first major league win and his first major league start. Five scoreless innings and your first major league start isn't so bad. I mean, this is another story. He got called back up when Sean Doolittle went on the IL, and it's another example of, yes, a, a terrible injury, but another guy finally getting a shot, making the most of it. I mean, um, had two relief outings before he made that start, but five scoreless innings and – you know, you like what you see from this guy who the Nationals are pretty high on. Yeah, yeah, they needed a lefty in that bullpen, and then they turned him into a starter. Again, one of those situations where he's starting the the second game of a doubleheader after Max Scherzer went in game one, and you're just saying, all right, you know, what can you give us? And, and the Nationals went into that game basically admitting it was going to be a bullpen game. You mm-hmm. know, we'll put Bramer out there for as long as he can go. Um, and then we'll just kind of piece it together. He gave you five out of the seven innings, um, and they ended up crushing. I mean, they gave him a huge lead. I think that final score was fifteen to nothing. Good thing that the baseball team scored as much as the football team that day. Um, <laughs> but you know, so he, you know, he had a longer leash because of a, of a big lead. But you know, he didn't give up any runs. So like, he didn't need that much. You know, Alex Chapel and I talked about it on the our Mass and Alex's extra recap. It's like, you know, he didn't need to like all those run support because he cut them off the board anyways. So just an amazing, amazing uh, outing for Ben Bramer. Another good story. Uh, Something to look forward to, too. You know, Mm -hmm. you can add to the future uh, this guy. Now the question will be, all right, do you keep him in the bullpen? Do you maybe stretch him out to be a starter? And then you have two lefties in that starting rotation down the road. Uh, should be interesting. Yeah, because we talked about it last week, you know, finishing up the season here. Maybe the Nationals would go with some bullpen games, see these young guys out of their bullpen. But – when he opens up with five scoreless innings, you know, that's that's exactly what you want to see. It's exciting, and it kind of puts Davey in a tough position. Like, hey, maybe we should – maybe this guy will turn into a starter. Who yeah. knows? Yeah. Someone else – and this guy is probably the most familiar name for Nationals fans. Maybe it's from Aaron Baird. But that would be Andrew Stevenson. And this is someone who – I am now become the biggest fan of. Uh, you oh, know, yeah. I so am if you see it on his Twitter, he's yeah, a big fan. Yeah, at Bobby underscore Blanco. All aboard the Andrew Stevenson <laughs> train. I mean – First of all, we knew this guy about him coming in. I mean, he just plays hard. And mm-hmm. whether or not he has the full skill set, we can debate that all day long. Um, he's clearly – people have said, you know, he is just your average, you know, fifth outfielder guy. He's a minor leaguer, whatever. This guy was, you know, we talked so much about Juan Soto, Victor Robles, Adam Eaton, Mike Clay Taylor. He spent most of the season at Fredericksburg. He is called up in July, then sent down. He basically spends a month and a half at the alternate site. We called back on September 18th. He has a hit in every single game he's played since then. 
um, for a 400 average with seven RBIs, four extra base hits, and a uh, 1128 OPS. I mean, and then not to mention his glove in the outfield. So this is a guy who's like, he's a feel good story in that could this possibly be Andrew Stevenson's breakout? Right. And we don't know what this outfield is going to look like next year. He's now putting his name in there for the fourth outfielder spot, maybe even the fifth, if they decide to go completely young out there with Soto Taylor or Soto Robles, Taylor Stevenson. And, you know, the thing is, is you're, you're up and down. It's tough to come up and produce right away, but produce consistently. You know, he had five RBIs in his first five games up this month, but he's had, like you said, he's had a hit in every single game. I mean, I think that boasts more for what he could be for this team's future than, you know, producing here and there. And Davey, Davey's a big fan of him. He's like, yeah. this, this guy grows on you because he's such a hard worker. Um, and, you know, when Eaton went on the IL, Davey, Davey vouched for him. He said, you know, this is – this is the guy, you know, you saw him, you know, in the field, he had that great leaping catch yesterday. And then at the plate, he's producing. So, you know, it's tough to just come up and down. And when you're not seeing that live pitching every day, obviously in Fredericksburg, you know, you're seeing pitching, but it's different at the major league level. So, you know, it's, it's tough to do that. And who knows? I mean, we don't know the future of Adam Eaton. Um, So, maybe this is the next guy we're going to see in that outfield. Yeah, how about since he's been re- back up with the Nationals, he has a 478 on-base percentage. That's why Davies put him in the uh, leadoff That's spot right. in the past three nights or three games. So Andrew Stevenson has worked his way into a leadoff spot. And if you, you would have told, if I told you that at the beginning of the season, you'd be like, well, this season has gone completely awry, which it has, but Andrew Stevenson has he's earned that spot job, yeah. to be up there by hitting. Um, and I love the way he's putting out a bats. He's going to the opposite field. You know, he's expanding his strike zone by also keeping it concise so he knows it. Right. Um, and, you know, he's not just get, letting pitches go by. Uh, and then, of course, the glove, too. I mean, he made a couple of great plays out there diving in left field, which is curious because you mentioned Adam Eaton. We're seeing Juan Soto play right field yesterday. Mm-hmm. David Martinez said today pregame that we're probably going to see that from here on out just so they know what they have in him in right field. What does that mean? No more Adam Eaton. (laughs) And he would not elaborate, of course, but something to keep an eye on for this last weekend of the regular season. A couple more just before we get out of here, Amy, that we also mentioned. Josh Harrison and Brock Holt, these are two guys that we kind of raised an eyebrow at when they brought them in. Uh, I definitely, so in terms of Brock Holt, and all he's done is hit close to 300 uh, to finish this season. And, And these are both guys that I think Davey Martinez can't speak any more highly of because they have been crucial in this clubhouse you know he says josh harrison's always ready to play mm-hmm. we've seen him pinch hit or pinch play or defense substitution whenever uh, a couple of times this season already so he's been a great add to this uh, this roster for david martinez and brock holt has just brought that kind of blue collar grinded out mentality that davy likes so much um and he's been able to grind out at bats and come up with some clutch hits down the road so those are two guys too that don't don't think they deserve to go too in depth because they are just kind of just journeymen that have been here for mm-hmm. a while now, especially in Harrison's case. But they do deserve some recognition in this conversation. They remind you of um, Astrobo Cabrera and Gerardo Parra last year. You mm-hmm. know, two veterans. Uh, these two guys can play multiple positions, and you just need them to come in, play, and do their job. And so far, they have. I mean, Brock Holt was hitting a hundred before the Nats picked him up this season. And, you know, now he's hitting over 300 this month. Um, you know, Harrison looked like it could be could have been the end of his career 
He's come. He's done his job. So these are two guys that are big presences um, in the clubhouse, and they go out there, can play multiple positions, and they'll do whatever their manager asks them to do. And I think that's the most important part. And, you know, it's like the second chance Nats this year. You yeah. know, come one, come all. Yeah. Um, and we'll give you a job. So. Yeah. Well, speaking <laughs> Exciting. of – Exciting. Yeah. A couple more storylines just to follow uh, at, at this last week um, or weekend. Again, they finished up the series against the Phillies tonight – on Wednesday, and then four games against the Mets. But we talked about Austin both last week, and since then he has done nothing but just pitch his butt off. Um, a complete game, his first complete game, the first uh, game of the doubleheader on Tuesday. Uh, he'll have one more start. He's in line to start the season finale on Sunday against the Mets. If he does get the ball, he could make a serious case to be like, I am not just a sixth, seventh, eighth starter that you keep uh, on the roster. I am going to compete for this fifth starter spot next year. So he has a chance to make it a strong case and another strong finish to a season mm-hmm. for him. Uh, Max Scherzer, we talked about last week, he could possibly reach 100. He's probably not going to get that. He'll probably, I think he needs 16 in his last start, but mm-hmm. he does have one more start this season. That would be Friday, I think, uh, against the Mets. And don't forget, it was just 2015, but he no-hit the Mets on the last Saturday of the season when the Nats were eliminated. So Max Scherzer is always something to keep an eye out for. Um, and then now it's no longer Trey Turner we're keeping an eye on for the batting title, but it's now Juan Soto. Mm-hmm. Juan Soto could finish the season leading the league in average on-base percentage slugging and then, of course, OPS. I mean, just yep. unreal numbers from Juan Soto. Yeah, right now Soto sits fourth in batting average in the league and Turner's right there, right behind him in fifth. Um, so two guys to watch out as they conclude conclude this last week of the season. And see if Juan Soto can even – I think right now it's a stretch. But like we said earlier in that episode, never say never, Juan Soto still tr- maybe could finish the season with a 500 on base percentage, which would be something to keep an eye on too. It's, he's, yeah, he's sitting I, just below 500 right now. Yeah, so. so it's something – and he's drawing so many walks still, uh, getting intentionally walked, so something to keep an eye on for that well amy that's gonna do it for our last regular season podcast we will of course be recording podcasts throughout the off season any news that breaks will be right here on the mass and all access podcast so be sure to subscribe on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, and soundcloud and to give a, of course give mass and nationals a follow on facebook twitter instagram uh and youtube for all their video content throughout the off season and the, the remainder of the regular season at amy jennings news on twitter for amy i'm at bobby underscore blanco give us a follow and chat with us all season and off season long um, and stay tuned right now. I'm going to talk to Alex Chapel. She has had a very unique perspective of this season as the sideline reporter, even when the team isn't there. She breaks it down for me right now on the Mass and All Access podcast. Back on the Mass and All Access podcast, now joined by Alex Chapel, our Mass and Nationals on-field reporter from Nationals Park ahead of this series finale against the Phillies. Alex, thanks so much for joining me. Hey, Bobby. Oh, it's great to be on with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Well, I figured you've been recapping pretty much every game this season with me on Mass and All Access Extra. So I figured you were the perfect person to come on the last podcast for the regular season and kind of recap uh, the 2020 regular season. So I really appreciate the time. Um, First and foremost, I guess, you know, we've talked about this almost every single night. You know, you're reporting from Nationals Park even in this crazy season, even when the team isn't on the road, what's it been like from you as a sideline reporter to report on the team, both when you can't be on the actual sideline and then also when the team's not even there? Yeah, great question for all of us in this 2020 year, right? We've all adapted and made 
changes to our jobs and our daily lives. And and so for me, I'm one like everybody else here. But uh, no, it's definitely really different. For one, we miss the fans here at Nationals Park. It's just not the same without that electricity and energy. And then you miss being close to the ball club. And, you know, b- behind me is normally where I sit down in the TV well and you're right there next to the dugout. And you can sometimes hear different conversations or you're learning a lot from the players being so close to them this season obviously sitting up in the stands by section 128 um, but you one feel thankful that you're still here to watch live baseball that you're working and that you're healthy and uh, so that's the most important things but no it's different you know you just have to adapt to the circumstances our interviews things we do on a daily basis are all done on zoom and uh, and you just make it work you stay positive but yeah you miss it definitely makes you a, a greater appreciation um, for everything that you do in a normal circumstance. Well, you mentioned your interviews, and you've had very limited access, considering what you've had in the past as an on-field reporter, to both the players, the coaches, the staff, the front office. Um, can you kind of just walk us through the process, what it's been like? Because you have had a couple of one-on-one interviews throughout the season that you've been able to get through Nationals PR um, and some great content coming out for Nats Extra on Masson. Can you kind of just take us through the process of uh, what that's been like? You know, mentioned, you mentioned holding them through Zoom, and then also maybe some of your the kind of the tidbits you've learned throughout the process uh, from the, some of the guys you've interviewed. Yeah, I think all of us have used Zoom more in our lives than we ever had before, right? You're trying to figure out, okay, um, you know, let's set it up at this time, and what's the best for your schedule, and we're all going through you know, learning technology more than ever, right, as far as this part goes of it. But um Yeah, I think, you know, we've had a chance to catch up with Kyle McGowan after he was called up in early September. And that was really cool. I mean, this is a pitcher, a young pitcher that Davey Martinez says he's really taking advantage of the opportunity that he's been given. Um, You can see him thriving in his role. This is kind of the first season for him going full time, moving from a starter to a reliever. And it was really neat to catch up with him and talk with him about what he really focused on down in Fredericksburg, his go to pitch, his out pitch, his slider. Uh, how much he's developed. And then he's definitely one of these bright spots we're seeing for the future. Uh, Talking with Aaron Barrett over Zoom, it was right before he and his wife Kendall welcomed their newborn son Paxton to the world. And so just finding out what he had been working on, how he was getting ready to get the call up here to Nats Park. And um, so it's just a lot, you know, You like you said, you have to be able to use your different resources. And Kyle Brostowitz with Nationals PR has just been huge for us this season, um, contacting him and trying to set up various interviews. Um, and then every day we have Zoom press conferences before the games with Davey Martinez. He talks to all of us right on Zoom. And I wish we could almost put together a blooper reel because we've all had the same errors, whether it's your Wi-Fi not working or, or, you know, all of a sudden your screen freezes or he freezes, you know, or you forget to unmute yourself. So we're navigating through all those things that all of us are getting used to. Right. But, um, you know, you just you take it one day at a time. And I think as the season has progressed, you you try to get as much access as you possibly can with the limitations that we have right now. Yeah, you mentioned the blooper reel the other day. Jan Gomes <laughs> asked if I was Henry Blanco's son because uh, he saw my name on the Zoom call for the post-game press conference. <laughs> I am not, but uh, I appreciate the uh, the connection there, Jan. Um, Alex, another part of your job is, one, you get to 
develop real close personal relationships with these guys throughout the course of the season. You travel across the country with them, of course. You're with them on a daily basis. But then you also get to see from afar or maybe actually close up uh, how they kind of mesh together as a team in a clubhouse. Obviously, very different this year. But how do you think this team has meshed together? You know, there's been, again, a good group of veterans and younger guys, a lot of new faces, both on uh, older and and younger guys because of the injuries. But how do you think this team has kind of meshed together in the clubhouse in this crazy 2020 season? Yeah, great question. I think that's something that we all do miss the most is that you're not – kind of down in the clubhouse and getting to see it firsthand, right? But at the same time, when you talk to the players on Zoom, how they've described it, a lot of the core from that 2019 World Series team is back here in 2020. And we know what a great group of guys the Nationals have. That's something that Mike Rizzo always emphasizes, that we want to have great character players. And so it's something that the Nationals do have. Rock Holt talking with him the other night. He was asked, why was the transition so seamless for you coming here and playing for the Nationals? And he said, it's just a great fit. It's such a cool group of dudes is what he said. But, you know, it's such a welcoming clubhouse. They're all so close. And I think even under um, the COVID-19 protocols and things they have to follow, it didn't take away from how close this team is. Now, granted, Bo Porter has talked about this on the pre and post game show. So as our analyst, FP Santangelo, if any team is going to miss the fans more than ever it's your defending world series champions this was supposed to be their you know big victory lap year and you're celebrating with all your fans and that part i think and bobby you and i talked about this you can only imagine what it was like for them on opening night here at nationals park when the banner gets raised and they're playing the yankees and nobody's here right so that factor it's it's definitely i mean they're human. They're going to have all the same emotions that we all have too. Um, but at the same time, they've navigated through all of this. And I think right now down the stretch, you see them playing some of their best baseball because this is a team that takes a lot of pride in that. They want to end the season on a high note. They've said, let's finish strong and let's have fun doing it. And at the helm of this whole squad is Davey Martinez, of course, the manager who led into a World Series championship last year. In this unprecedented season, you know, I don't think we can hold any manager accountable for wins or losses this year. It's just been so different. But, you know, I think a lot can be said about how Davey has held this team together throughout the ups and downs. Um, you know, you mentioned talking to him every single day via Zoom. Uh, pre and post game, uh, you know, you're up there close on the home game near the field. How, how do you see David Martinez and the way he's managed this team through this season? Uh, again, it's been unprecedented and no one's ever done this kind of thing before. And we always give Davey so much credit of being able to keep the guys together and focused on going one and zero every day. Yeah, you just said it. It's keeping the ball club together. Davey is the best. He is so positive. And if if 2019 doesn't show that, I don't know what else does, right? He's just an unbelievable manager. His players love him. I think recently when he's talked about some of these players that they – We don't know what their future holds for them with the Washington Nationals. And he's been emotional talking about them. It was very difficult when he talked about Sean Doolittle having to end his season going on the IL. And this is somebody, he loves his players, right? He always talks about how their family, um, he just cares so much about him. He, He says they're like his kids, you know? So I think this season was really difficult not having the families around as far as the immediate families for the players. Um, they're such a close knit group. And, um, but Davey, gosh, he is just, 
he's so inspiring when you watch him the way that he manages and how he's just always so positive the other day he said it for with some of the young players and he said maybe there's bumps and bruises but we have no time for negativity with this ball club it's all about being positive how can we look to the next game how do we keep improving and that's who he is and and I love listening to somebody like that and I know for the players they just really admire him too yeah absolutely and the, and the Nationals and the Nationals philanthropy is just awarded Davey a prestigious award they're basically their Mr. Positivity Mr. Baseball award the other day or earlier this week so of course he embodies that uh, throughout the Nationals organization that they recognize that uh, Alex our uh, media ballots for the 2020 season are due by the end of g- uh, the game on Thursday you don't have to give us your ballot or, or no spoilers but just who are you thinking in terms of uh, the best player of the year uh, the best pitcher and the media good guy award for this season Uh, It's always so tough, you know, when it comes down to voting for these and especially when you look at so many guys that have highlights throughout a season and and everyone is deserving in their own way. Right. I think so if we look at the player of the year for me, it just comes down to Juan Soto and Trey Turner and what both of them have put together offensively for the ball club. They've every single game we've seen them come out and play so hard for Soto getting a late start to the season. And then now he has 12 home runs. He's hitting, I think, 345, right? So, or 349. But it's just, it's amazing what they've put together. Trey Turner hitting 339, uh, 10 home runs. And he's just been so consistent all season long. He's really been, I think, and Davey has talked about this, just the leader of the ball club. So for both of them, that's who I'm kind of torn between for player of the year. And then as far as pitcher of the year goes, Gosh, I mean, we know for the Nationals, it's always pitching and defense, right? And for me, I I look at some of these younger relievers and their emergence this season, even though Tanner Rainey unfortunately had to finish his season on the IL, but his teammates, the way they've just raved about him and how he's really come into his own. And Davey has mentioned, here's a a pitcher that's going to be a future closer for us. And then you look at Kyle Finnegan and his story. And this was a player that's been, you know, seven, eight years in the minor leagues. And he just worked through everything and, and then makes his Big league debut in the most unique season possible. They're facing the New York Yankees, and he's just come in in high leverage situations and made such a huge impact for this ball club. And then, as we talked about earlier with Kyle McGowan, um, we've just seen a young a young pitcher, the experience from the last two seasons, then going down to Fredericksburg, all the hard work he's put in, the results are showing. So it's exciting to look at the three of them. And, and then for the last one, the Good Guy of the Year award, for me um, – I'll just tell you who I'm going to vote for. I'm voting for Max Scherzer. I I always appreciate when he meets with us on Zoom. And this goes back to training camp 2.0 for the Nationals. Starting back in early July, his candor, how he talks about the ball club. He's such a leader on this team. And after every outing that he's had, just what he shares with us. And you can always learn so much from Scherzer. Obviously, every five days that we have an opportunity to talk with him. And then he and his wife, Erica, uh, they started their new initiative, Nats for Mass, just helping underprivileged communities and, and making a huge difference and raising money during this COVID-19 pandemic. So for me, that he gets the good guy award. But all these players, I mean, Bobby, it's such a terrific group here and, and they're such high character guys and they all do so much in the community. So at the end of the day, they're all they're all good guys on this Nationals team. Yeah, I definitely wish the season could have turned out better because, you know, even as people in the media, we root for these guys on our personal personal level 
uh, even though we can't do it in the press box. So it would have been nice to see um, this season turn out a little bit different. Nonetheless, though, Alex, there have been some really good stories. Uh, just before I let you go, just want to know what maybe what are some of the high points you point to when you look back on this season, some of the things that maybe slipped underneath the radar that we should be talking more about because they were um, a bright spot in this, unfortunately, mostly negative season. Yeah, I think you saw we saw seven players make their big league debuts this season. That was really exciting. Um, a lot of different pitchers having the opportunity. I thought Kyle Finnegan was the brightest star for the Nationals all season long. And he just continued to earn Davey Martinez's trust. He came in in very difficult situations and got the job done. And he's somebody when we talk about that future of the bullpen it's really exciting I mean you have kind of these young young pitchers that we've seen their emergence throughout the season so that's definitely a bright spot and then when we look at what uh, Luis Garcia did getting the call up and what he's put together and Davey Martinez is looking forward to his offseason program that he's kind of set up with Garcia just he's still young so wanting him to get stronger but the combination of him and Trey Turner and then speaking of Trey Turner I think just the fact that he is the now um, longest tenured position player on the Nationals with Ryan Zimmerman opting out this season and so that's crazy to think because he's still so young in his own right but um, we've really seen him just become a leader on this ball club and He's always helping the younger players. And as Davey put it, he speaks when he needs to and he makes and people listen to him. And so that's been really fun to watch him just uh, come into that role and really own it. So those three storylines, I would say, are the highlights for me from when I look back on the 2020 season. Well, I know it's been an abnormal season and you've been super busy. Um, I really appreciate you taking out the time. Uh, during batting practice, we'll get you out of there. So uh, didn't realize that the music would be playing so loud during a podcast, but that's okay. Sorry. Um, no, that's not your fault. Um, really appreciate the time. Of course, you can follow her on Twitter at Alex Chapel, catch her on Masson's pregame show on Nats Extra and throughout the broadcast for the remainder of the season. And, of course, you can watch uh, her and I recap every game for the remainder of the season on Masson All Access Extra across Masson National's uh, social media platforms. Alex, thanks so much for the time. I'll talk to you later. Talk to you later. Thanks so much for having me on.